Well, thank you all for worshiping through singing. And now we're going to spend some time worshiping through the word together. My name is Justin Knowles. I'm the teaching pastor here at Ingleside. And this morning, we're going to look at part of Isaiah 42. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Also, get out a listening outline, a pen, so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, let me say welcome to those of you joining us online and on television. I'm really glad that you could be with us as well. Uh, now, you'll notice on your listening outline that we're currently reading the book of Isaiah uh, for our chapter a day readings. And if you've been reading along with this, you might have noticed that uh, some parts of Isaiah are kind of heavy. I mean, it deals a lot with sin and the consequences of sin, including God's judgment. Sometimes that goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh, but you don't have to read too long in Isaiah before you get some kind of notes of hope along the way. Uh, there are these passages all throughout the book that deal with God's faithfulness and his mercy and promises of a coming savior. And those passages actually pick up uh, in frequency after about chapter 40. And you may have noticed it sort of changes the tone of the book. There's sort of more brightness, more hope toward the end of Isaiah. Four of those passages are what we call the servant songs. They're in chapter 42 that we're going to look at this morning. There's another in chapter 49, one in chapter 50, and then one in chapters 52 and 53. Uh, now, sometimes in Isaiah, uses the word servant to refer to all of the Israelites, all of the people as a whole. But in these four passages, the context makes it clear that it's talking about that coming Savior that we know is Jesus. And these passages give us some insight into uh, what he would be like and what he was coming to do and how he would do it. And by now in our readings, we've read all four of those servant songs. And so this morning, we're going to sort of back up and look at the first one that's in Isaiah 42, the first four verses. Here's how it starts. The Lord says, behold, my servant, talking about Jesus, behold, my servant, whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The word justice is an important word in this passage. It's used three times in just four verses. It's really getting at the heart of the main idea in this passage and what the servant would come to do. So would you write this in? One thing we learn here is that Jesus will establish justice. Uh, that word for justice is a really important one and uh, it's a word that it's translates uh, the Hebrew word mishpat. Uh, good Hebrew word translated justice. In fact, since it's so important in this passage, on the count of three, could we say mishpat together? It's just a fun word to say, mishpat. On the count of three, one, two, three, mishpat. We're learning some Hebrew this morning, right out the gate. This is great. So what really is mishpat, translated justice? Well, it goes way beyond sort of a legal understanding of justice, although that would be included. That same word is used in Exodus to refer to kind of the pattern or the blueprint for the tabernacle. 
And it's really the idea here, it's sort of a blueprint or a pattern or a design. Specifically, write it in, mishpat, justice, refers to God's design for creation. Sort of his blueprint for his creation. Because here's what's happened. God created the world, everything in it. He created it good. In fact, he said that people were very good. But then people sinned. Adam and Eve sinned and all of us have sinned. And we just sort of made a mess of God's creation. That's why the world is not currently the way it was originally designed. It's not the way it should be. It's because of our sin that there's pain and loneliness and heartache. That's why there's selfishness and greed and adultery and violence and war. This world is not the way it should be. And so when it says that Jesus will bring justice, it's saying that he will make all of those things right. He'll actually restore all of creation to God's good design, his blueprints. It means that literally everything that is wrong in the world will one day be fixed because of Jesus. And those who are in Christ will get to enjoy that forever. Now that's really good news for us, isn't it? I mean, as we experience that sort of pain and suffering and all the, just the consequences of a fallen world, to hear that it's not gonna be like that forever. He's bringing justice, that's really good news for us. Listen, it's also really good news for the world. There are people all over the world who are experiencing those same things. And Jesus's mission is for them as well. Did you notice it says he will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus's mission to establish justice, to bring a, a kingdom that will be perfect in every way. That mission is a global mission. And if that's true for him, then as his followers, our mission is a global one as well. This should really motivate us to go with the gospel, to take this good news to the nations. The good news that Jesus is bringing justice to the world. Then look at verse two. It says of Jesus, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Now here's where we start to see a contrast between Jesus and other kind of earthly kings, every other king who's ever existed. It's really a theme that develops throughout the servant songs that he's a different kind of king. The main point here, when it says he won't cry aloud, lift up his voice, the main point is that his coming, his first coming, didn't involve the normal kind of pomp and circumstance that you would typically associate with a king and that you would expect for a king coming to establish this new perfect kingdom. In fact, you know the circumstances of Jesus' birth and life and death, very humble beginnings. That continued throughout his whole life. Uh, in fact, one of the other servant songs in, in chapter 53, it says of Jesus, it says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. It says he was despised and rejected by men. He was not what they were expecting for a king. 
Here's sort of the point then from verse 2. Would you write it in that Jesus is a different kind of king and establishing a different kind of kingdom? Yes, he is establishing this new kingdom that will perfectly conform to God's blueprints, but he's going to do it in a different way, in an unexpected way. But of course, it's not just that he's different. As we get to know Jesus, and certainly from our perspective now, knowing what he did and how he did it, it's not just that he's different, it's that he is better. He is a better king, establishing a better kingdom and doing it in a better way. And we get a glimpse of that, sort of some insight into that here in verse 3. So he's coming to establish justice. He's not going to be a normal type of king. In fact, look at verse 3, what it says about him. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It says he won't break the bruised reed. He won't put out the faintly burning wick. What's it talking about? What does it mean to be a bruised reed? What does it mean to be a faintly burning wick? It's talking about people who are hurting, who are weak, who are needy, and who know that. And because you know it, you turn to the Lord to look for help. It's what Jesus would refer to as the poor in spirit. And we're all going to have seasons like that in life, maybe more than one for you. Those times where it's just abnormal sort of pain or soul-crushing experiences. A variety of things that could lead to a season like that. I've listed just a few of them here for you. Some causes of being bruised or faintly burning Here's one. Would you write it in? It could be a season of spiritual or emotional exhaustion where you are just absolutely depleted on every level where you would say, I am empty and exhausted. There are a lot of things that could cause that. Maybe it's because you uh, spend your day chasing around little kids and making sure there's food on the table and the house is clean and you're taking care of your family and running errands and everything else you need to do. And uh, you are just giving and giving and giving of yourself and you find it hard to be replenished. Find it difficult to, to find the time that you really want to spend with the Lord. And you're giving and going at such a pace you just feel exhausted or you're working 60 70 hours a week and you're giving it all you've got at work and then you come home and you give your family all you've got and you are just spent you feel like your flame is barely burning could be write it in the result of difficult circumstances uh, you know, life is going to be tough for all of us along the way, but there are some seasons that are tougher than others, are there not? Uh, there are some just intense seasons of life because of the circumstances. Maybe it's just sort of one big thing. Perhaps it's a loss in your life that just feels overwhelming to you and you're not sure how you're going to go on. Or maybe it's a series of painful, difficult events in your life. Uh, you know, earlier this summer, uh, my family was at the beach. Anybody been to the beach yet this summer? I know we got some kids in the room. Any of you guys been to the beach yet? 
We're going later this summer, plans. We went to the beach early in the summer and there were a couple of days where the waves were a little rougher. They weren't huge, but they were like big enough to have fun in, you know? And so we were out there playing in the waves and um, there were a couple of times when one would come and just pound me. I mean, just sort of knock me over, knock my sunglasses off kind of wave, you know? Then you gotta go digging around in the water and the whole family's there helping you find your sunglasses or whatever and kind of get back on your feet. And as soon as I can get back on my feet, another one would come and knock me over. And, Get through that one, another one would come, knock me over, just wave after wave. That can be somewhat fun if you're in the ocean. But sometimes life kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Where it is just one thing after another, and you are getting pounded and pounded. And you can't catch a break. And you're not sure how much more you can take. It's one of those seasons where you go to pray and the only words you can get out are, oh God. And you don't even have words beyond that. You just got to trust what the Bible says that the Spirit will intercede for you and take it from there because you don't even have the words. Life just feels like too much. Another cause, write it in, could be a heightened awareness of sin. Now, all followers of Jesus, of course, will hate their sin, but there are just some seasons where you're uh, more aware of it and see it more clearly in your life and you see how ugly it is and you just hate it. And that's a really good thing because that can be a great occasion for sanctification, for growth. But also sometimes it can come with just overwhelming feelings of shame and guilt that weigh you down and just crushing your spirit. You're even embarrassed to talk to the Lord about your own sin. You're just so ashamed. And it is painful to have to acknowledge that. There may be some other causes in your life, but that's sort of the idea, at least, that it's those times where you go, man, I am, I just feel like I'm dying here. I don't know how much longer I can keep going. It just feels like too much. You'd say, I'm not broken, but I am pretty close. My flame is still burning, but just barely. How does Jesus respond to that? If you feel like a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick, he says he's not going to break you. He's not going to put out that little flame that's remaining. He doesn't see that as an opportunity to just crush you and break you down. That might make sense from one perspective. If we think of a king trying to establish a kingdom and here's some people that are that weak, it's an opportunity to just crush them. He says he won't do that. It's not the kind of king he is. In fact, the implication here is that he will actually heal and restore that bruised reed. The implication is that he will fan your flame so that it begins to burn more brightly. It means that in our weakness, in your weakest, most painful moments, King Jesus is tender and kind and merciful. He will meet your deepest needs in those moments. He will encourage you, he will sustain you, he will hold you close to his own heart and get you through it. 
Psalm 23 says, he, he restores my soul. Or Psalm 109, after the psalmist says, I am poor and needy. A few verses later, he says, the Lord stands at the right hand of the needy one. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't crush you. He stands at your right hand to help, to sustain See it in the New Testament, don't we? Think of Matthew 11, where Jesus himself says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He says, Come to me, I want you. And he says, I will give you what? Rest. How about Hebrews 4 that says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, which, first of all, how amazing is that? That the Lord's throne is a throne of grace. And we can actually approach that throne through Jesus. And so we can approach his throne, why? To find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. That's the kind of king he is. In fact, this passage, Isaiah 42, is quoted in Matthew 12. And we're told there explicitly that Jesus fulfills it. You know what's recorded just before that in Matthew 12? It's a story of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. He saw a man who was hurting, who presumably had been like that for a while and was kind of making it, getting through life with that challenge. And Jesus saw him and what was his response was to heal the man. It was one of those times he did it on the Sabbath, and so the Pharisees didn't like it. In fact, it says they started plotting to, to kill him, and so Jesus got out of there. And, but it says other people continued to bring hurting and needy people to Jesus, and he continued to heal. It's a pattern in his life of him giving people their lives back and healing and restoring grace after grace after grace. These expressions of what he said. He said, I came, you might have life and have it abundantly. Matthew 12 records him putting that into action. And it's after that, it quotes Isaiah 42 and says, this happened to fulfill what Isaiah wrote. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He is kind, he is tender, he is merciful, he gives life. Would you write this in then? That Jesus heals and sustains when we are hurting and helpless. Don't you just love him? <laughs> That's the kind of king he is. He is so good. So how does he do it? What does that look like? For him to sustain us through seasons like that, seasons of our greatest need. How does he get us through it? I've given you a few ways here. The Bible talks about one, write it in, is his spirit. If you're in Christ, you have his spirit living in you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't leave you on your own to get through those times or any other time? Even though he's not physically present with us now, he's given us his spirit, a comforter, a helper who encourages and sustains in supernatural ways. Here's another way the Lord does it. It's through his word. I love one of the other servant songs, Isaiah 50. He says, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Why? He says, so that I might know how to sustain with a word 
the one who is weary. I wonder if any of you are weary today. The Bible says the Lord sustains with a word. We have that word in the Bible. And it is an amazing, beautiful, supernatural, literally supernatural thing that we can open God's word and interact with him in that way. We can actually hear from him. He speaks to us in that. And he uses his word to remind us of what's true about himself and about us and about our life in Christ and whatever we need in those moments. He provides it. So let me just encourage you, if you're in a season like that, do whatever you've got to do. Arrange your schedule however you have to arrange it to spend more time than you've ever spent in God's word. And you sit down with your Bible every morning, you open it up and you say, God, I need to hear from you today. I need something. I need a word to get me through today. And he is faithful and sustains with a word. He also uses, write it in, his people. I love this. And the body of Christ is such a gift. It's such God's grace in our lives. You don't have to go through those seasons alone. It shows up in the, the random text or email or note or phone call or word as you're passing someone. A word of encouragement. Even they don't know why God put you on their heart, but you know. You know you needed that happens is we're in groups and we're growing together and you're getting to hear from other people and their walk with the Lord and they're able to encourage you in that. It certainly happens as we gather for corporate worship. It's one of the real benefits of being together for worship is you're surrounded by other people who are praising the Lord, declaring truth about him as we sing and we pray and you're hearing that and you're seeing other people walk with the Lord and you're able to sort of lean on their faith in those times when yours feels so weak. It's a gift from the Lord. I encourage you, if you're in one of those difficult seasons, you move toward biblical community. If you're not in a class or a group or a study, you find one and get into it. If you need some help, let us know. You make it a priority to be in corporate worship. Even on the days you don't feel like it, you choose to be here in order to receive God's grace in that. He is so faithful, so kind, so tender, so gracious. And listen, that is why. It's because of his grace. That's why you were bruised but not broken. That's why your flame might be burning very faintly, but it is burning nonetheless. It's because his grace really is sufficient. Whatever you're going through here, this his grace is sufficient for you today. And it'll be sufficient for you tomorrow. And it'll be sufficient for you the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. And it'll be sufficient to see you all the way home. In fact, listen to what the Lord says. It's the very next chapter of Isaiah 43. The Lord says, fear not to his people. He says, fear not. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Listen, friends, if any of you in this room, any of you watching, 
or in this kind of season, you'd say, Justin, if I'm being honest, man, I feel really bruised, really weak. My flame is barely burning. Perhaps you just need to hear the Lord himself this morning say to you, I love you. If you're in Christ, he says, I have redeemed you. You are mine and I will not let you go. He does not break the bruised reed. He heals and restores and sustains by his grace. So last verse here, verse four. It says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Returns to the idea of justice. It says he will in fact establish it. It's a good reminder for us to end on that note. It's a good reminder that his tenderness and his kindness should not be mistaken for weakness. I mean, you might hear the kind of king he is, how kind and merciful and go, could a king like that ever really pull this off? Could a king like that really establish justice in all the world? And the answer is yes. Of course, he faced lots of opposition when he was here on earth and that didn't stop him. The Bible says he was obedient to this plan to the point of death, even death on a cross. That opposition didn't stop him. And then what happened? He came back to life. Death could not stop him. The grave could not hold him. Nothing will stop him from bringing justice to the world. There is still opposition today and Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, do you remember what it says in Revelation 21 near the very end of the Bible? John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Friends, that's mishpat. Justice and it's coming to the nations, and all who are in Christ will get to enjoy that forever because of our great, gentle, powerful, tender, faithful, compassionate, loving King who sits on the throne now and forever. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you so much. We are so thankful for the way that you treat us. We are thankful for your tenderness, for your kindness, for your mercy. We are thankful that you sustain us through difficult seasons of life by your grace. We love you. We are so thankful to have a king like you. And we look forward to seeing justice in its fullness 
established in the world. And we're thankful we'll get to be part of that. And we pray that in your name. Amen.